Thanks for listening to audio from Rockhaven Church. For more information on our ministry, please visit us at our website at www.rockhavenchurch.org. So as we've been going through this core training, um, you know, the, the time together has been good. We've, we've talked about, uh, you know, abide, letting go of our agendas, talked about abiding, the importance of prayer, God's word, the centrality of all of those kind of things. And then a couple of weeks ago, we began this time. And what does God want the church to be? And, and the church to be a collective abiding people, right? And, and then in turn, God never shows us anything about himself that he doesn't want us then to use and to share with other people. And so then we invest, intentionally invest in the lives of other people as we are obedient to the great commission, go make disciples, and the great commandment, love God, love others. And as we're moving through, all of it, there's one more point, one more element uh, that we're going to introduce today, and that is the significance and the importance of unity. Unity. And we're going to look at what unity is and what unity is not. And we're going to talk about God's purpose, plan, and His intent. But God wants the church, by His plan, in His design, living out the impact, the difference of the gospel, the church to be unified. One. As a testimony. And so as we look at these things today, I want to see the words of Jesus in John chapter 17. And then we'll look at the application of that uh, as we move through. Look with me at John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. John chapter 17 is what's called the high priestly prayer. This is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. This is his prayer time recorded for us that we might know what is at the heart of our Savior right before he knows he's going to suffer and die the substitutionary death that should have been ours. And so his prayers, his insight, right? You're going to read this on your own some other place in point in time, but for the sake of the morning, look with me at verse 20. John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask only for these, that being his disciples who were with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me. Father, I pray that they might be one. Oneness. Unity. As we think about this, right, might be thinking, tempted to think, right, collectively, right, as I begin to talk about unity and oneness as God's plan and part of the church, you might be tempted to remember previous past experiences where churches weren't acting like that. 
church conflict, right? Probably uh, many testimonies of yours shared things where it didn't go well, okay? And um, if we thought about unity like that, we might be tempted to define unity and oneness just simply as a, a, a desire to get along. Or uh, unity and oneness, according to God's plan, is, is the absence of conflict. And uh, that's just simply not true. Unity and oneness is our very identity as God in His design and by His wisdom, chooses to include each one of us in His family, adopted as His kids, we become members of one another. The same Spirit unites us and works within to make us one. Unity and oneness is the reality of our lives. Unity and oneness is our new identity. Unity and oneness is a fact of our lives being included in Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is, is we can't do anything to make ourselves more unified, more one than we are bound by the power of God together. But the warning is, we can do a lot of things to destroy it. And that's where we have to be careful. Jesus said, he said, two so that's. Did you catch them? Did you catch them? There's two so that's. Uh, Jesus said in verse 21, Father, I pray that they may be one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Cause and effect. Our unity, our oneness, our being intent on the purpose of the gospel and the centrality of God's word and, and his rightful rule and reign as sovereign, the leader of the church in all things, is a demonstration to the world that God really did send his son. To put it in terms that I'd understand is that when we live to the high call that is ours in Jesus, it legitimizes to the world that Jesus makes a difference. And then verse 23, I and them, them and me, it sounds an awful lot like abiding, right? Same thing. Our lives included in Christ that they might become perfectly one so that, point number two, the world may know that you sent me, yes, and love them even as you have loved me. A good pastor which you don't have, he's deer hunting up north, might be tempted to spend the entire time here just in John 17. Because we could talk about our position, our want right, the glory that God has given. When I say glory, what does that reflect to you? What do you, what do you think about? Do you think about light? Do you think about brilliance? Do you think about not being able to turn away? Do you think about something beautiful? All of those things would be true. We can look about all of those things, but again, this is part of our identity, part of who we are, and we've talked in part and pieces about the importance of putting our trust in Jesus Christ and, and, and growing, abiding, remaining in Him because that's what we're included in, and then when we're fellowshipping with Him in time of prayer and in His Word and in fellowship with others whom He indwells, we have the opportunity 
opportunity to put into practice the wisdom of, of Jesus, right? As he's refining and changing us, equipping us for the capacity to love God and love others like he loves, we demonstrate a bright light, a city on a hill that cannot be denied, the profound beauty, glory of Christ. And we love like he loves and we live like he lives. And then the world has to take notice. Many of you have already, already um, experienced this in your lives. Having put your faith and trust in Jesus, right? A complete transformation of things in you. People are like, wait a minute. People you've known your whole life are kind of like, what happened to you? What's going on? What's different? There's a, there's a, there's a radiance in your face, a trust in your demeanor, a joy that cannot be denied. And then you've had the opportunity to say, well, let me tell you. <laughs> I stopped being religious, and I, 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 I learned for the first time who Jesus is. And I put my faith and trust in him. And he's showing me things that I've never seen before, things about myself and things about others and things about him. And it's, it is a constant joy. Church unity and oneness is more than avoiding church fights. Church one, unity and oneness as our identity, by God's design, our lives included with Christ should have a difference, make a difference in our decisions day in and day out. Uh, from watching a video of the persecuted church, realizing that we're all connected, that what I do ultimately affects my family and affects others and those things. But this morning, I said we'd look at two pieces of Scripture. I'd ask, would you see how Paul affirms this wisdom and turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, as you're looking for Ephesians, one of those real small short books, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, right? First, Second Corinthians, and then go eat popcorn. Go eat popcorn, is the act, right? Galatians, right? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So uh, if you found that, you're in Ephesians chapter 4, so we begin. Ephesians is a great book, right? You want to see a healthy church, you can look and study the church in Ephesus. And you will find the church in Ephesus all over the book of Acts. Uh, Ephesus is a church that Paul planted. Uh, Ephesus, uh, then also uh, Timothy was its pastor. Uh, church history, right? We're led to believe that uh, the Apostle John spent some time there. Fascinating. Uh, Ephesus just had lots of good stuff going on, okay? Uh, and as we look at this fantastic church doing fantastic things, then we see their letter. We're also mindful that even when things are going really, really well, there's some good reminders to be had. Okay, you can divide the book of Ephesians into two parts. You can divide the first three chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, into some fantastic doctrine, facts that will not change, of who God is and what He's done and our lives included in that. That's doctrine. Boom. Okay? Then chapters 3, 4, and 5 are our application of that, excuse me, 4, 5, and 6, are our application, of, since these are true, this is the difference it makes in your life. 
Okay, and now I'm mindful as we've been asking the question. You've heard me sing and bring this up before. When we ask the question, what does God want the church to be? What does God want the church to be? He wants us to hear, adhere. He wants us to keep. He wants us to listen to. He wants us to be the bearers of. He wants us to be the stewards, the recipients, the keepers of good, sound doctrine. Let the Bible say what it says. Let our lives be the pursuit of the mastery of His wisdom, not the other way around. If our lives are messed up, it's not because God's Word is wrong. Are you with me? And if our lives are being right a certain way, kind of go right in that joy and peace and comfort, it's because we're letting His rule and reign, His truth and wisdom, His character is given in His Word, the facts of who we are in Christ being shared in our lives. And as many of you can testify, just as I have, there are some things in God's Word that are just downright hard. I tell you the truth, forgive your enemy. What good is it to love those who love you? I tell you, love those who hate you. Those are hard things. But the transformation, the trust, the, the honest begging of saying to Jesus, I can't do this. I need your help. I believe it to be true, but I need you to show me how. Thanks be to God, our lives included in Christ Jesus. He's so very good and faithful to do that if we're willing to lay ourselves out like that. Does that mean we're perfect? No. But that means we're being good followers, appropriate disciples of Jesus. Easy? No. But worth it. And so what does God want the church to be? He wants us to stick to, pursue, sound biblical teaching. And to never, ever let go of that as a demonstration of our trust in his wisdom and in his way. That's my summation of three chapters, Ephesians 1, 2, 3. And in light of that, look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I, Paul, therefore... As a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Jump down with me, if you will, uh, to uh, verse 12. To equip the saints for works of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that y'all might be smart. No, that's not what it says. So that you can tell other people what they need to know. No, 
That's not what it says. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. God's plan and His intent is for us to grow. And as we grow, to grow so much in the knowledge of His Word and His way, His truth, our identities included in Christ, right, that we won't be dissuaded, that we won't be tossed around here and there by, by fads, the coming and goings of the world and its political agendas, but that we might know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God intends for us. That we might know that when the world turns hostile to those things, that doesn't mean we change, but we remain. That, that what we're going through is, is part of His design and His plan to build us up and to encourage us that we might be so adequately equipped, as Hebrews chapter 5 says, that we might have our senses trained to discern good in evil and to put into practice the very Word of God that He shared with us. And so Paul says, in light of all of these truths, in light of everything that God wants to do, you, followers of Jesus, you church in Ephesus, you church in Granite Falls, you Rock Haven, walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. What does that mean? Well, to walk in first and foremost, is encouraging. God doesn't say, hey, in line of the fact that uh, I've saved you, or in line of the fact that you've, right, you've put your faith and trust in my son, now get out there and run as fast as you can. Life pace, life pace is such that God's word is a lamp unto our feet as we're walking, right? Each step, decision by decision, walking in a manner worthy. And so God's plan, his intent, his desire is for our lives to model our understanding of his word so that there's a congruency so that there's a, a, you know not a gap between what we say we believe and how we conduct ourselves that there's a, a endless supply of of you know these words that we can maybe put into practice but i liken it to this that whenever you see the word worthy you might also think of worth worth so, in light of what Jesus has done for you, how does your life demonstrate the worth, the worthiness of what he's done? Walk in a manner to, that demonstrates God's worth to you, the value that he is in his word and his counsel is to you. And we have an example of some of those things. That with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager, not reluctantly. <laughs> Looking forward to, eager. You're anticipating if you're eager. You've already thought through a number of different scenarios in your mind about how we might get from here to there, about what might come up. In our house, we call this premeditated good. 
right? That I, I've already gone through a number of different scenarios about how things can go. And, and so not only am I trusting God and obedient to his word, but I'm, I'm eager to demonstrate to others the difference that God has made in my life. And we've mapped that out and how it might go. What are some of those things that you go out into the world and you've made it your aim, your goal. You've said to, the, you've said to God in the morning, you've said, hey, Lord, today's your day. Thank you so much for waking me up. Now, uh, with everything you've given me, help me to be a good steward, not only with my possessions, but of the resources and information that you shared with me. Use me as a light and give me an opportunity to impart the truth of your son, Jesus, so that someone might come to know you today. And you go out and you open up your eyes and you see, and there's someone that could use some encouragement. And so you step forward in bold faith, Right? And as you're about to share with them, they snap and snarl and let you have it. And you're kind of like, oh, didn't see that coming, right? But if you snap and snarl on your way back, you know, uh, then, then you, weren't thinking, you weren't thinking in advance. It's the same thing in our church family. I always like it that in small towns, we have, a, we have a blessed opportunity that a lot of people don't in big towns, right? Uh, what I mean by that is that some of you in this way, I'm a transplant Right? I've only been here 19 years, and I will probably never be labeled, oh, he's from Granite Falls. I don't know how long you live someplace while you're still the new guy. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But as we train and equip and share with others, right, many of you, what I call the Granite Core, been here your whole life, born, raised, and, and, and this is it. You know everybody, right? You, you know what they were like when they were in third grade, Okay? And we all get together, and we're here, uh, and we're a church family together, being eager to maintain the unity, the bond of peace that is ours, that high call, right? We might have differencing of opinions. And in the difference of those opinions, we realize that part of God's wisdom is that he's included us with all kinds of different backgrounds and all kinds of different opportunities to share, to be stretched, to be enlightened with one another, what he might do. And so we don't make judgment, but we are eager eager to the high call of the gospel, remind, being mindful, being mindful that it was God's wisdom, his genius, his love that has included us all together, right? And so then, humbled with gentleness, patient, bearing with one another. Actually, I did a, a little study some time back. It wasn't comprehensive. It was just my own. Uh, and in my own study... Uh, I studied all of the one another's uh, that I could find, the one another's, the, how we ought to conduct ourselves amongst one another. Uh, and what you might be interested to know uh, is that there are um, 52 in the New Testament, 52 one another's. That would be right uh, opportunity for us to master one of these a, a, a week, if you would, Okay. But as we go through these 52, there's some that are positive, and there's some that are negative. Thanks be to God, there's less negative, and there's more positive, <laughs> okay? But here's a list of examples of some of the things we must be eager that will help us to maintain unity in the bond of peace, okay? This one shouldn't be a surprise to you. Fifteen times we're called to love one another. That is, want better for one another at the expense of yourself, you know, some of the things that will destroy unity, selfishness, pride. You know how you know you're fighting against some of those in your life? When you're the person that says, yeah, but I want. You know what I'd like? Right? Okay. Unity is destroyed by selfishness, by pride, 
It's destroyed by busyness. Busyness can destroy unity. We're called to love one another. Why? Because two times we're reminded that we're members of one another. Live in harmony with one another. Why is that important? Because harmony doesn't mean we're all the same. It means we each have a part to play. And your part and your part might be different. But when we all live our parts out, it is part of this beautiful sound that God can make. Fellowship with one another, instruct one another, be humble to one another, care for one another, be forbearing, bear burdens of one another, be kind to one another. I won't go through. I'll I'll share with you some of the negatives. Right? Don't receive glory from one another. Don't be puffed up against one another. Don't devour one another. Consume one another. Provoke one another. Envy one another. Don't lie to one another. Right? Uh, No, what we're going to do is we're going to forgive one another. We're going to encourage one another. Confess our sins to one another. Build one another up. And here's my favorite one that we're going to have to work really hard on. Address psalms, hymns, and songs to one another. Okay? Right? So this is where I can say, Nate and Amy, yes, I'll come over for coffee. No. I, I don't know exactly what that looks like in the context of our culture. Right? This is how Tammy and I torture our children when we kind of turn our family into a musical. Yeah. But I think the point is, is that we're learning how to, we're learning more about you. We have an opportunity in our church family to experience the unconditional love of Christ Jesus. And that's not to say that we won't have a a disagreement. That's not to say that we won't uh, have a difference of opinion. That's not to say that there might not be something that's going to happen. But he's sure given us some beautiful gifts to use if we're willing to lay selfishness and pride and those ugly things aside. He's given us the gift of forgiveness. He's given us the gift of love, of grace, of mercy that we ought to be eager to implement. Why? Because there's a whole world that doesn't know what we know. And he's included us and made us and given us the high calling of being part of his family. And so effectually, then, we might live our lives differently so that the world might have to know that God did send His Son. And He does love. Powerful love. Unconditional love. Love. For His glory and the sake of others. Miles, bring your team up. This morning I want to say, um, in all humility, thank you very much for being gentle and patient and bearing with me on a brain fog Sunday. This is just a, an introduction. What we've talked about this morning where I've shared with you the one another's in your life included in Christ, you're, when you spend time in His Word, you're going you're gonna to see it everywhere. You're going you're gonna to be mindful that what happens to one affects us all. That what's on the line isn't whether or not we're having a good day or whether we feel like it or want to. But it's a daily opportunity to demonstrate to the world what Jesus means to you. And that He is going to come. Yeah. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Talk to you soon. If you've got questions, let us know.